You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the All Access Legends podcast. All right, Matt Calvin, how you doing today? <clears throat> Excellent. Welcome to the All Access Legends podcast. Um, I'm going to jump right in here. We're here in Indianapolis for the ABA's 50-year reunion. Um, why is it so special for events like this to celebrate the uh, history of the ABA? Well, I think it's uh, a collection. It goes way back. The ABA players, the ABA league as a whole, uh, certainly the players uh, had a certain bond toward one another. We would fight on the court but after the game, we would go and fellowship, go out to dinner, have a drink, what have you. And so um, there was a certain kindred spirit about the guys. They, they had a, a real sincere care about one another. And that has carried over some 50 years later. And even I was noticing last night the wives, ex-wives, girlfriend, there's a, there's a wonderful connection there. And so it means a lot for us to be back. Those who are living, that can come back and tell stories and relive our history, uh, because we were we were part of a group of players that uh, has transcended now to the game of basketball. When you look at Golden State Warriors and the way the San Antonio Spurs play and Houston Rockets, we were that group of players. Mm-hmm. And I guess going off of that, you know, the game's moving to a. Uh, shooting heavy uh, league, you know, you had a, a hard-nosed style of play. Um, I think it was in your second year in, in the ABA, set the record for the most free throws made and most free throws attempted. You know, how did that translate into the NBA when, when you made that transition? Well, I think it transcended to the little man. You know, when I started playing, Calvin Murphy wasn't around, neither was Nate Archibald. So uh, they saw, I kind of set a precedent uh, with the ability to take to the take the ball to the basket, and also the ability to distribute, be a playmaker, as well as score. And if you notice, when Calvin Murphy came in the league, he did the same thing along with Nate Archibald. And so, to end today's game, it's pretty normal for guys to score the James Hardens of the world. <clears throat> I like to say my game was more like a, a Chris Paul today, where certainly in my later years, but uh, it certainly has transcended to a. Uh, a perimeter game, an up-tempo style game. you got to have the talent to do it. No, absolutely. Um, so what was your favorite memory as an ABA player? Oh, that's a pretty wow. big question. There were, very, there were many. <laughs> there were many. I, I would say that it was probably the, uh, the day I was going. I was, uh, I think I was 18 points shy of my 10,000 point, playing for the Denver Nuggets with a great team. Uh, that year we were 65 and 14, I think, and first team all league. But uh, when the organization flew my mom and dad in to uh, to see that game, unfortunately I got hurt. I had uh, broke my finger trying to get a rebound from George McGinnis, and so I only scored maybe eight or ten points. And so I missed the next two weeks, 
And uh, but I would say that game was in particular. There were very, a lot more. Certainly, my rookie year with the LA Stars, uh, we won a lot of games. Twenty three games out of the last twenty six to make the playoffs. That's pretty good. Yes, and, I'd say so. And then I, I would say that the one game against the Pacers in the playoffs, um, I, I think I scored like thirty six points, had something like fifteen assists. Have to look that record up, but it's pretty close. Yeah, right. Who is the ABA's or who was the ABA's biggest trash talker? Oh, or who man. was the biggest trash talker you played against? There were there were quite a few. I would say probably Calvin Murphy was one, certainly in the NBA. But in the ABA, uh, I would probably say it was uh, fat, a guy named Fatty Taylor, Roland Taylor, who who passed away a couple months ago. Yeah, it was recent. Yes, um, he was certainly one. George Gervin definitely was was one. But you know, we I'll played have to ask George. Position. And then I had a lot of the big guys, you know, Mel Daniels, who is no longer with us. He was a center, premier center. Uh, those guys would knock me on my butt. And some of them broke my nose and just told me, don't bring your little so-and-so back in here into the lane. And I get knocked down again, pick, shoot my free throws, come right back. So they had a lot of respect. So those guys, uh, they, they were pretty mean to me. You kept fighting, though? Oh, a- absolutely. You kept driving it at them? Yep. I had a coach by the name of Bill Shaman my first year. And a uh, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame player with the Boston Celtics. And the first 15, 20 ball games, you know, I, I was a rookie and was not tough. And uh, guys would knock me down, want to fight. And one, well, after one game, Bill Sharma just said to me, he said, look, Mac, if you want to play professional basketball and you want to play in this league, you're going to have to be tough. And I think for the remaining 75, 70, 75 games, I got into a fight almost every game. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Well, you're learning there. So what was that transition like from the ABA to the NBA? Did you have any difficulties? or? or? Not really. Um, unfortunately for me, the Lakers in the merger – uh, the team that I was playing with, the Virginia squads, folded. So the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers, had my rights. I was a 14th-round draft pick by the Lakers and um, wasn't highly thought of then, but I was when the merger came about. So I signed with them, and they was a slow, methodical team. Uh, <clears throat> some of the, the whole NBA was very slow and methodical. Uh, it was a big man's league. And so uh, the adjustment that I had to make was – uh, to pretty much adapt to that style until I was traded back to the Denver Nuggets and San Antonio Spurs and teams that I played for and who played an up-style uh, tempo type of a game. So, so that was the biggest challenge, was fitting in with current teams and, uh, with your style. Right. Yeah, I mean, when you want to uh, push the ball up on a fast break, you had to almost like put the brakes on because, you know, and Jerry West coached me in those days. No knock to Jerry West, but... Uh, he, this wasn't your style. No, and we had a a great Hall of Famer on our team, Lou Alcindor, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and uh, he was slow as molasses, and so <laughs> we just couldn't couldn't run, push the ball. Awesome. Does the basketball community do a, a good job now? You know, recognizing the achievements of the ABA. I would give them a great C. Um. I think more so now from uh, Adam Silver, he's recognized it, but they can do a lot more. Uh, but 
Uh, I, I think the, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame can do a lot more. I mean, at one time, two or three years ago, they had um, an ABA committee where they elected a lot of there, – there are a lot of guys, including myself, that should be in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame based on, uh, you know, what we brought to the game. Uh, guys like Willie Wise, myself, uh, guys like James Jones and – I mean, it took Spencer Haywood so long to get into the Hall of Fame. Yes, but Spencer only played one year in the ABA. But the guy who just recently got in last year, George McGinnis, I mean, he was forever. He was one, one of the, the best. top five. I mean, I, I've been named uh, one of the top ten players in the ABA, certainly one of the top 30 when they announced it 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But, um, and, you know, when you think you deserve an opportunity, you want it, so – God willing, it's going to happen. Jerry Colangelo is a great CEO and president of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. They got great committee members, and I think one day I will be recognized. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can you can see it moving toward you know they're recognizing the achievements more and more as you, you know, move along. And yeah, and then there are also other players that are getting older that are coming into the Veterans Committee as well. But all in all, I, I think that uh, they've recognized it. Guys like Louis Dampier and. Zelmo Beatty, most recently Charlie Scott. But Charlie only played, I think, two years in the ABA. Yeah, so his recognition basically came from the NBA. Uh, so um, I, I don't like to use the analogy we made this game, but we changed the game, really, literally, uh, when the merger came about. I think they adopted to three-point lane a shot two or three years later. There was a different style of play. Uh, so, so yeah, I hope we're never the ABA has never forgotten. Do you watch a lot of basketball now? I do. I watch probably a thousand NBA games a year, you know, and uh, well, I should say a thousand NBA games and college games. So I, I'm a big student of the game, and um, there's certain favorite certain teams I really like and see the see the style of playing. Favorite team? Moves it Golden right State now. Warriors, San Antonio Spurs. And why? Why is that? They play the game the right way. They share the ball. Uh, very unselfish players. Uh, they're, they're great people on and off the court. Uh, they add value to the game of basketball. And with certain coaches, but, you know, Popovich is an old ABA guy. The same with uh, Steve Kerr, who played for uh, Popovich. And so, uh, and there's some other good teams. I think the the Los Angeles Lakers are starting to, they're going to be that team. Houston Rockets is still an exciting team, but they're still a one-man team, one-man style of get play. What about the Sixers? I love the way the Sixers play. They're an up-and-coming young player, a young team with great young players. I think give them two or three more years, if they can add a couple more veteran players, uh, they, will, they will control the East for a long, long time. They're going to be good, and they're they're pretty good without Embiid right now. So, well, they're going to need him. They I mean, need obviously when you get to the playoffs, the oh, game the slows game. down. You need the big. You need you need the presence of an individual that can score. They don't have that right now. They're a collection of From the good players, place. but he makes them a great team. So I want to pivot over to the college game a little bit now. We're we're talking to Jerry Harkness later. You know captain of the 63 Loyola team what, what was that like to to see Loyola make that run in, into the champion into the final four and achieve really a, a ton of success well one I was happy for Jerry and his wife and I got a lot of media coverage 
and he, he said he was doing a lot of interviews. Oh yeah, and he and he got a lot of recognition for that he didn't get doing that era. And you, know, you got to remember, back in the '50s, there were not very many African American players, and let alone I think they had three or four African Americans on that Loyola team. So they're really getting the recognition now. Now going to the current team, this Loyola team, uh, they were the darlings of the NC2A. I just love the way they played. Um, they played the game the right way. They distributed the ball. Uh, no egos. They had a couple outstanding players that fed off the team the way they played. Uh, so I really, really liked them. They, you didn't see them taunting. You didn't see glaring in the camera. They just played the game the old-fashioned way. And I hope some of these college teams will pick up on uh, that style of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, they certainly knew how to play together, and I think you know they had uh, even their leaders were seniors, so they really had that senior leadership kind of into into the tournament. So yeah, it was and, very and, apparent. And they had they had players that were not highly recruited. I mean, too. So they had. A, I wonder what their highest rated recruit was on the team. I had I don't know. Some of them were transfers, but uh, the two kids that were guards that uh, came in as freshmen, they were. From I think Indiana somewhere where they weren't highly recruited. Yeah, it's uh, it it we, a lot of coaches need to wake up and and you know there's a lot of players out there that that can be a value to their programs. Well, I agree. I think a lot of teams, the Kentuckys, and a lot they're looking for these one and done type players, and you cannot build a unity or you cannot build a team in really nine or ten months and expect to really win. I think Villanova showed that. And that's my concern right now Right now with college basketball. I think college basketball needs a tremendous overhauling. And I think it starts, in my opinion, because I'm heavily involved in youth basketball. I conduct my 41st camp this coming summer. Congratulations. Thank you. And so I see all these kids. I've had the Hardens and the Westbrooks and Tyson Chandlers and uh, Alan Krabs in my camp since they were kids. Wow. So my point is, I think the AAU – needs a new overhauling, and that has to be controlled uh, from the amateur athletic situation. Now, go back to the NBA. The NBA, in my opinion, needs to adopt a two years and done. A ball player, a kid needs to come in and get at least two years of, of, of basketball and education uh, and because they are the, the feeding ground if you will, for the NBA. And so when colleges can develop student-athletes, not only emotionally and physically, they have to develop them spiritually. And I think, in my opinion, that's why a lot of the NBA teams are down today because you have 50% of the team or less that's not making a playoff, but you have far less than that that have only won maybe one-fourth of their games. And why is that? Because you have a lot of young players that you're trying to develop that points to be that's going to be integral pieces to your team. So you think they need that extra year of development in I, the college I, game? I think so. And there's talk about if a kid wants to come out and declare out of high school, then he can. You can go play in the G League. And why is that? The NBA wants to uh, have an opportunity to def- to look at the young talent, but those kids are not ready. Yeah, right. And so what do you lose out on? You lose out on the educational piece the mental uh, growth of young young players. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the G League? I, I think the G League has uh, 
It needs to be overhauled. Needs to be developed a little bit more. It should be like baseball, kind of minor like a, league a minor league system, where you mandate the kids also to get their classes or get their work toward their degree online uh, during the down period. And then I think you need to have more coaches, whether it's ex-college coaches or ex-players, that can really work with those players on a daily basis, and not just on their physical. Uh, skill set and shooting and all those other things, but also on their overall emotional uh, growth mm-hmm. uh, and have a better understanding of the professional life. I agree with all of that. Um, so I guess what is Matt Calvin up to now? I know you said 41st year running your camp. What what, what are you got going on? Well, Brad, I've been tremendously blessed, and I have a, uh, I'm doing a lot of motivational speaking uh, at the, with the L.A. Unified School District. Uh, and my passion is for young people. I have uh, I share my journey uh, with them. I share where I started. I, I graduated from high school reading at the seventh grade level. I had a 1.9 grade point average and with over 100 scholarship offers, and so I basically couldn't go anywhere but bad. with community college. Uh, the, yeah, the scholarships were great, but I, I didn't have the grades. Yeah, And so I come from a very difficult family life, and, Dad was an alcoholic, so I had to go to junior college. And it was where the coach was going to kick me off the team. Uh, and I confessed to him I couldn't read. And then I stuttered. And so he turned my life around, Chuck Kane. And I'm um, still a great player, All-American. And uh, at the end of the day, I had about 50 scholarship. I chose USC over UCLA. And so I've been an advocate for education. I've been an advocate for sharing my journey through life, uh, that it might be able to help someone else. So that's what I do, and I'm that's working awesome. on that. I'm working on a, on a book, and uh, there's a lot more of what I've done, how I've overcome. Awesome. Uh, had over 600 players drafted ahead of me in the ABA, NBA, and to make it. Look where you're at now. I've been tremendously blessed. success. A lot of people have helped me along the way. The All Access Legends Podcast is brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association.